0: Section 11 of Miller of the Silver Hand and Other Stories of the Bright Ages. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Miller of the Silver Hand and Other Stories of the Bright Ages by David Byrne. A mighty struggle. Among the truly great men of the past, Augustine of Hippo holds high place. The man who worships mere intellect cannot but venerate augustine the worldly man cannot but be interested in one who for so many years was the prince of worldlings true penitents regard him as their patron sinners who are yet tied and bound with the chain of sin will if they are wise ask for his intercession in the year 354 augustine was born of a pagan father and a christian mother his parents were fairly well-to-do but by no means rich and the father was not slow to see that his boy was possessed of quite exceptional abilities. He first went to school in his native town of Tagest, not far from Hippo, in the African province of Numidia. Afterwards, he studied grammar, poetry, and rhetoric at Medora. The father's one ambition was that Augustine should be a great scholar. The mother's daily prayer was that her son should become a great saint. At the age of sixteen, the boy returned to his home his father wishing him to find his studies at Carthage, but to the grief of Monica, and the lasting detriment of the lad, his father allowed him to spend a whole year in idleness. The reading of bad plays first corrupted his mind, the frequenting of theatres, and an excessive indulgence in field-sports brought him into bad company, and led him into every sort of sin. In his seventeenth year, Augustine went to Carthage. It is a proof of his ardent nature, as well, as of his amazing ability, that he threw himself into his studies with such application that he soon held the foremost place in the most famous schools of his country, yet his vices seemed to grow with his learning. Instead of checking the immoral course upon which he had entered, his studies increased his opportunities and occasions of sinning. Meanwhile, his holy mother Monica prayed. She herself had instructed her boy in the Catholic faith. He was not yet baptized, but he was a catechumen. She had taught him to pray. As was the custom of that particular time, his baptism had been put off, lest the grace of it should be abused. A year after he had been sent to Carthage, his father died, after being received into the church. The widowed Monica still prayed. Of a certain character in a distinguished work of fiction, the author says, his soul was like some great cathedral organ, foully handled in the night by demons. The comparison may well be applied to Augustine. His intellect was colossal. Even non-Catholic authors claimed him as one of the greatest writers who ever lived. Great as an orator and a rhetorician, he was still greater as a thinker. His reasoning power was immense. No knowledge came amiss to him. He took up and absorbed almost every form of science. But if his intellect was strong and powerful, so were his passions. In that amazing book of his Confessions, he has shown us something of the strife that went on within his soul for so many long years. We know that the battle was titanic, good and evil fought desperately for the lasting possession of that great mind. He was by nature generous and refined. Even in his vices he observed a certain external decency, and his manners were irreproachable. Intensely proud, as at this time he was, he carefully refrained from the abusive language in which his companions indulged, and the practical joking so common among the Carthaginian students. To give pain to others afforded him no pleasure. Nonetheless, he lived in open sin and almost complete forgetfulness of God, but Monica still prayed. Restless and ill, at ease, in spite of his scholastic success, he determined to devote himself to the study of philosophy. He began... To have certain contempt for honors and riches, learning and wisdom should give him the satisfaction that sensual pleasure could not supply. Yet he made little or no change in his life. The habit of moral sin was still upon him. Philosophy could show him how to reason concerning his passions. It could not help him to overcome them. As his knowledge increased, his pride also increased. To his many moral sins, he was to add that of heresy hitherto he had been a christian in name retaining a certain reverence for christ and remaining mindful of the teaching of his saintly mother but long-continued habits of sensuality had blinded his spiritual understanding and greatly weakened his will to the intense grief of monica he joined the sect of the manichees remaining in it for his nineteenth to his twenty-eighth year it was a monstrous and ridiculous heresy that of manichaeism and the fall of so great a genius into so foolish and deadly an error was the direct outcome of his pride and impurity. He fell as Solomon fell, as Luther fell, as Henry Eighth fell, as almost every heresiarch has fallen. A great sorrow fell upon Augustine. His dearest friend and one who had followed him into heresy fell sick and was received back into the Catholic Church. He rallied for a time, and Augustine ridiculed his friend's conversion. If you wish to remain my friend, said the sick man, you must not make fun of my religion. Soon afterwards he died very happily, and Augustine's grief was terrible. He could do nothing but weep, and his life became insupportable. Philosophy could give him no relief. Knowledge had no cure for a loss of this kind. Sensual pleasures became a torment. He could no longer remain at Tagus, where for some years he had conducted a school of grammar and rhetoric and determined to remove to the great capital of Carthage. Here he gained distinction and applause in public disputations, and secured the principal prizes of oratory and poetry. Time and new friends mitigated his grief. Soon, however, the disorderly conduct of the students disgusted him, and he determined to go to Rome. There he fell dangerously ill. Recovering, he began to lecture the most famous scholars of the day, frequenting his schools. Still restless and annoyed at the knavery of some of his pupils who cheated him of his fees, he sought and obtained a royal appointment, that of the professor of rhetoric at Milan. Though St. Monica did not know it, this was the moment for which she had prayed. This was the beginning of the end of Augustine's apostasy and immorality. To be in the city of Milan without hearing of the holiness and eloquence of its bishop was impossible. Out of mere curiosity and to indulge his love of rhetoric, Augustine went to hear St. Ambrose preach. Almost insensibly, Monica's son was impressed. He went to criticize, he remained to think. The manner of the holy bishop's sermons attracted the great rhetorician. The matter of them sank into his heart. Here was a man of God, who could reason. The most famous among the Manichees could only talk. Augustine was deeply moved, but he was not yet converted, yet Monica still prayed. The enemy held my will, Augustine afterwards wrote, and of it he made a chain, with which he had fettered me fast. From a perverse will was created wicked desire or lust, and the serving this lust produced a kind of necessity, with which, as with certain links fastened one to another, I was kept close shackled in this cruel slavery. If the forming of bad friendships is always a sure occasion of sin, as it certainly is, the making of friends with really good people is a special antidote to vice. Augustine began to pull himself in a way of holy men, as formerly he had sought out the wicked. Not even then was his conversion immediately assured, but he had taken the first grand step in the right direction, and all this time Monica was praying. From good friends to good books is an easy step. As a young boy, bad books had seduced Augustine, corrupt plays had led him. Into wicked company he now began to read the sublime epistles of saint paul in the lives of the saints these writings powerfully affected him but the struggle still went on hell was enraged at the idea of losing a soul so powerful for good or harm a soul that had served it so faithfully for so many long years i was enraged at myself he says that i did not courageously and at once resolve on what my reason convinced me was the good and necessary thing to be done. I shook my chain, but I could not be released from it. But he continued to seek out holy men. He went on reading good books. He had already abandoned the Manichaean heresy, and his mother had followed him to Milan, for tenderly and devotedly, as she loved him, while he remained a heretic, she would not live in his house, but she never ceased to pray for him. Who shall describe her happiness or his? when the day of his deliverance came. It came in the year 386, when he was 32 years old. In great retirement, mother and son lived together, giving themselves to prayer and the practice of a holy life. On the following Easter Eve, Augustine was baptized by St. Ambrose, and in November of the same year, St. Monica died. Augustine became a priest, and subsequently a bishop. He remains one of the greatest of God's saints. He died on the 28th of August, 430, in his 77th year. End of section 11